The following message is from Grace on the Ashley Baptist Church, located in Charleston, South Carolina. For more information about Grace on the Ashley, visit graceontheashley.org. Chapter of Romans. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 is where we're going to jump off. Book of Romans. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to move around a little bit in the text. We're going to start out right there. We're going to launch into other parts of chapter 1. We're going to, we're going to go into chapter 10 as well. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. The title of the sermon this morning is, For the Sake of His Name. For the Sake of His Name. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Six. These, we've been in a three-part series talking about different things that we've got going on in the church today. I'm preaching on the nations. Why do missions matter? Why are we concerned about global missions? Why are we concerned about Ethiopia? I'm going to level with you right, off, right out of the blocks here. There's some weighty truths to why we pursue global missions. The, the truth of, uh, of the scriptures as a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can't apologize for the hard edges of scripture. Scripture will confront you. If you preach Scripture, if you live Scripture, if you think through Scripture, it will confront you, and it will probably confront us as a church this morning. It's confronted me for years of my life. I've lived with this sermon for the better part of three months now, and so as we think through that, I just want you to be aware of that, that we have a tendency, Scripture has a tendency to back us into the corner it has a tendency to back us in the corner, so it will probably do that to us this morning. So let's pray really quick, and then I'll jump off into, into the text. <clears throat> Eternal Father, it's through Jesus Christ that we have an advocate to plead our cause. And I'm overwhelmed by your grace to us, and so I implore you through Jesus Christ in this very moment that your grace will cloak this room, that it will cloak this room as I attempt to unfold truths of the Christian faith. May we be found faithful. May we be found faithful in our commitment to spread the gospel to the nations and to those who lack all hope or understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, here are the words of the Apostle Paul. This is Paul's autobiography. This is Paul writing about himself, a letter to the Romans, verse, verses 1 through 6. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and holy scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then here's, the, here's a beautiful statement from Paul in verse 5. He says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So what compels us to the mission field? Why are we concerned about the spread of the gospel all over the world? There are multiple answers to this question. There are multiple answers to this question, but Paul, right here, he's going to give us clarity on this. He's going to give us clarity on this particular question. Paul spent his life in this pursuit of the spread of the gospel. He spent his life there. I've told you several times from this pulpit that Paul was a missionary before he was a theologian. His theology drove him to be a missionary 
And so theology, it undergirds the mission, but at, at the heart, at the heart, what is a missionary? At the heart, at the heart, why do we pursue missions? Paul is going to tell us this here. He was a missionary before he was a theologian, but the question is, what compelled him to missions? What compelled him to be a church planner all over the world? I think if we examine Paul's autobiography here, an autobiography is a biography of someone written by their own hand. I think if we address that or we look at that here, we'll get a clear picture of the motives for global mission. If we examine Paul's life, we're gonna, we could look at all different types of people here and get an idea of the motives here. But if we examine Paul, we'll, we'll get an idea of what compels him to the mission field. So today I'm going to dive into Paul's autobiography. We're going to dive in this for a moment. Autobiographies are fascinating to me. They're fascinating for many reasons. But Paul's is no less fascinating to me because he gives us a model for how we are to think and act about global missions. That's what Paul does here. So verses 1 and 2, here's Paul's, this is what I'm going to call Paul's qualifiers. He gives us a few qualifiers here about himself. He uses some particular words in these verses. Let's look at them, let's look at them right here, verses 1 and 2. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, look at me, everybody look up at me. Paul could have used a lot of different adjectives here. He could have said a lot of different things about himself, but right out the gate, he frames himself as a servant he frames himself as a servant. Was anybody here last week when Greg talked about being a servant in the church? Right out of the blocks and what my opinion is the most important theological letter probably ever written in the history of the church, Paul earmarks himself as a servant. He didn't say apostle first. He didn't say greatest church planner missionary to ever live. He didn't say the greatest theologian or the man that writ, wrote three quarters of the New Testament he didn't say any of that. Paul knew that he knew that these words would be used until Christ's return to redeem people. He knew that this would probably be the most important theological letter ever written in the history of the church. He knew all of that. He knew that this letter would save millions of people. The proclamation of it would save millions of people and the advancement of the gospel all over the world would be done through this letter. He knew that his work would be used to build churches, to strengthen relationships, to walk people towards their deathbed to help them through anxiety, to avoid suicide, to have millions and millions of people all over the universe see and understand the glory of God the Father through God the Son by way of God the Holy Spirit. He knew that. Aside from Jesus Christ himself, the Apostle Paul is probably the most extraordinary human being to ever draw breath on this earth. And he frames himself as a servant. He frames himself as a servant. So first he says, I'm framed as a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle. And then this is a beautiful statement here. He says, I'm set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So first Paul describes himself as a servant, and then he directs us to be a part of the gospel. He directs us, to, he directs us how he's been set apart for the gospel. So what is going on here, Britt? Maybe the greatest churchman of all history, the greatest theologian of all history who's set apart. He's, set, he's saying that, he's, that Jesus Christ has set him apart to be a servant and to serve the gospel, to serve the purposes of the gospel. All I want you to see here is that Paul is other-focused. You tracking with me here? Paul is other-focused. He's not inward navel-gazing. He could have easily opened this book with this statement. I wrote this. He could have easily opened the book and he could have said, Paul, the leading authority in the church apart from Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and change the entire world, which was promised beforehand through, G through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. 
And nobody in here would have, would have read that 2,000 years later and thought, hmm, Paul's a narcissist. We would have thought this is exactly right. This is exactly what Paul did. Nobody in here would have disagreed in that. In fact, God utilized him to do remarkable things. But Paul wasn't oblivious to that. He wasn't oblivious to what God was going to do with him. He wasn't oblivious to that. So what does this have to do with missions? This is the statement here. Through the autobiography of Paul, we understand that the first step to fully understanding what, Paul, what compels Paul to global missions is that he is a servant set apart for the gospel. Look, look at me. I'm going to read this straight to you how I wrote it down here. You don't share in his apostleship. You don't share in that. You're not an apostle. But you share in two qualities with Paul as a child of God. You share in his servanthood, and you share in the fact that you were set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a child of God, you share those two things. Those are the reasons that God redeemed you. You tracking with me? Those are the reasons that God saved you. Do you understand that? He didn't redeem you just to hang out in this church. Just to hang out in intake. He redeemed you. He redeemed you to be a servant. To be set apart for the gospel. And then look at what he does in the next verses here. This is classic Paul. I love it. He's, he, he just, he, he, Paul talks a little bit about what he does, and he frames it into being a servant, and then he descends right into the gospel. Look at this in verse 3 or 4. It's awesome. He says, he descends right into it. Verse 3, he says, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. This is a gospel statement right here, straight out of the Old Testament. And he said he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Just right out of it, he just steps right into the gospel. He's writing his own biography, and it's almost like he says, I can't take anymore I got to get right to the gospel that's Paul he couldn't even talk about himself he couldn't even talk about himself if you're an editor and you're reading this Paul's biography and you've pinged him to write a biography you're calling on the phone and you're like Paul it's an autobiography man you need to talk about yourself and I feel like on the other line he's like I don't care about myself all I care about is the gospel of Jesus Christ it's everywhere everywhere you read Paul it's just right he's just right into the gospel he can't keep his hands out of it He can't keep his hands out of it. So what's Paul doing here? He unpacks the substance of the gospel in these verses because he's reinforcing that the gospel is about God. It's not about Paul. It's about God the Father being revealed through God the Son by way of God the Holy Spirit in order that grace might be extended to mankind. That's what he's telling us. Paul is arguing that the gospel is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He's arguing that to the, these, these, these uh, Jewish folks here. The gospel is, is from God. It's about God. And, 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 this is a problem for Jewish Christians. It centers on Jesus Christ. It centers on Jesus Christ. This is a shift for the Jewish people because now they're confused. They're, he's confronting them with the reality that their positions as child of, good, child of God, it flows exclusively through Jesus Christ. He's confronting them with that truth. Jesus is full deity. He's equal with God. He's arrived as the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. He, he claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. He functioned as God. He was crucified. He was buried. He, he reigned victoriously over death through the bodily resurrection. This is God's prophet of mankind in order that you may, not be, you may be drawn from the complexities of sin and death and stand cloaked in holy righteousness on the day of judgment so that you may, as the great hymn writer Charles Wesley once said, boldly approach the, in, uh, boldly approach the throne And claim your crown through Jesus Christ, your own. 
So Paul sets the model and tells us that we're servants of Jesus Christ. We're set apart for the gospel. We know that these two aspects of his autobiography, they apply to us all, right? He gives us the substance of the gospel in three and four. I'm about to move fast here. And then in verse five, he goes right at the motivation for his mission. In verse five of this text, he just goes right at it. It's, it's, it's rich and it's a striking statement. We're gonna sit down in it for a minute. Look at verse five here. This is so good. He says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. For the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul is speaking here about himself directly, even though he uses the word we, he's speaking about himself directly. He's not, we're not apostles with him. He's an apostle, we aren't, but he still holds the model forth for us for global missions. Paul is the model for this. Notice that these verses, it positions, as this is important, he positions grace, he positions grace before his rank. You tracking with me here? He positions grace before his rank in the kingdom of God. Paul says that he received grace. That's an important word. He didn't go out and get it. His salvation came by the sovereign good pleasure of God the Father. You didn't, he didn't choose to be an apostle any more than he chose to be a Christian. You don't choose to be an apostle any more than you choose your own salvation. He stands in receipt of it all. As I read this earlier this week, I thought about C.S. Lewis, read C.S. Lewis carefully, but C.S. Lewis has been a joy to me in his uh, conversion story. Surprised by joy, he explains that God closed in on him. Has anybody experienced that? And the grace of God, it's so overwhelming that it compels Paul to live for the sake of his name amongst the nations. Paul isn't concerned about his own name. He, he lives for the sake of another. He lives as a servant, as someone that's set apart for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that he did not choose, the gospel that he did not orchestrate, the gospel that, did not, that descended upon him by God's own loving kindness. He lives for the sake of another. He lives for the sake of Jesus Christ's name among the nations. This is the motivation to his mission. This is the motivation for his life. And the way this phrase is written into this passage is it tells us that the sake of Jesus' name is the reason that Paul is compelled to take the gospel to the nations. This should be our motivation. Are you at all compelled by the sake of Jesus' name amongst the nations? If you are a Christian, you have to deal with this. Are you at all driven by the sake of the name of Jesus amongst the nations? About three years ago, maybe. I feel like every story I give you is from three years ago. But three years, three or four years ago, I was living in Greenville, South Carolina. My wife and I, um, we lived there for about two years. Um, I, had just, I had just landed what I considered to be my dream job at the time. It was with a company that I still do work for them, but it's a good company. I had, I had all the upward mobility I wanted. My wife, had she'd worked full-time and gone to law school at night, and she had landed her job at a dream firm of hers. And uh, 
we had been in Greenville, and I was okay with that. And I, I you know, I, at the time, I thought, you know, man, I, I'm going to do this business thing, and I had done another master's, and I'm going to do this business thing, and I might work in a nonprofit, I might work at a parachurch organization, I'm, gonna be, I'm just going to be a lay leader, because I'm in the church the whole time. I'm preaching and teaching and doing all the things in church that, that you know, God's always, I felt like God had always called me to do, but I thought, man, I'm just going to be a great lay leader, this is just going to be what it is. And so it became clear to me, I've told this story before, it became clear to me at some point in time that, um, that I needed to go to seminary. And so um, we decided to really leave everything. It was calculated, we didn't do anything impulsive, but we decided to leave everything we had in Greenville and go to Louisville, Kentucky to attend seminary. And it sounds simple now, but it was a massive shift for us. It really was. It just was a massive shift for us. I, you know, our motto's always been that we don't, Megan and I, we don't ever back away from the hard stuff. And so we, just, we tend to run right at it. So we were pretty settled in Greenville. And it, but it was, it was, you know, it sounds simple now, but it was really, really, just to be honest with you, it was really challenging for me. You know, I'd love to tell you I'm holy and I'm just all godly and, you know, things don't, I don't have junk in my heart or anything like that, but that's just not the case. And I'll be honest with you, we moved up there, it's a long story, we moved up there and got settled in at seminary. And I'm going to be honest with you, I had some, I resigned my job. I mean, it wasn't impulsive or anything. It was, I mean, we had thought and prayed through this and resigned my job. And I'm going to tell you right now, when I landed in Louisville, Kentucky, I had some junk in my heart that I, I didn't, I didn't know I had. I was a little bit shocked to be, on, be honest with you. I just had some significance wrapped up in things. I didn't, I didn't even know it was there. It was shocking to me. And so I, you know, I mean, I, I, I look back on it now and it's a difficult thing. And so you're 10 years into a career. We're trucked all over the Southeast. And, uh, you know, you, get, you, you land up there and you, you think, I, I can walk away from this stuff. <laughs> I can walk away from anything for Jesus. And then you do it and you realize you got stuff packed away in your heart that you never did. So long story short, I remember sitting one morning in, when I, when I go through these hard transitions in life, and we've been through some pretty tough transitions, I journal, okay? I can't believe I'm even telling you this. But like I'll journal, I, I'll just, I, writing's therapy for me. I do a lot of writing in general, but it's usually academic and professional stuff. And so sometimes during these hard transitions, I'll write and it's therapy for me. And I wrote, and I can remember it's early, it's like early 2015, it was like 5 a.m., I'm awake early. I'm like the oldest 33-year-old you'll ever meet. I'm awake at like 5 a.m. in the morning, and I'm, I'm writing, and I'm struggling. And it, sometimes in these things, get up and spend some time with God in the morning alone, because God does things in it. And sometimes when you're alone with God, he just settles things. He just settles things. And so I'm sitting there, and he just, he just settled in me. I told someone before, sometimes, sometimes you just get along with God, and you just settle the thing. Doesn't mean you're not going to struggle with it anymore. It doesn't mean it's not going to be a temptation for you, but you just get along with them and settle it. And so I'm there, and this is what I wrote. It just, I just settled it in my heart. I just settled it in my heart. I said, I, I, I had some significance tied up in titles and all that sort of stuff, but I've settled it. I've settled it. I know what I'm doing now. And this is what I wrote in my, I wrote it, what I wrote in my journal here. I said, and this is a direct quote. I can't believe I'm telling you this. It says, it takes a person that is fully committed yet completely vulnerable within his own inabilities to live out a life for the gospel. My deepest desire, my deepest desire is to make his name known. And you, you hear that and you think, man, that's so godly, Britt. But let me tell you something right now. I'm stunned at how patient God is with me. 
I'm stunned at it at times. Listen, my hands are dirty. My hands are dirty, and I, I, wasted, I wasted so much time. Don't make the same mistake. Don't make the same mistake. From that day forward, I'm trying with everything in my life to live for the sake of his name. I, I, don't, I want his name to be known. I, I couldn't care less about making a name for myself. I'm a bondservant. God closed in on me. He descended upon me when I was in the abyss of nothingness, and I want to make his name known. I'm in it for his glory. Are you tracking with me? Are you in it for the sake of his name? Are you compelled by the sake of his name amongst the nations? God help us to be in it for the sake of his name. So what's in a name, Brit? We're talking about the name of Jesus here. What's in a name? What's in a name? I mean, let's take it one step further. God is, Paul is propelled for the sake of his name amongst the nations. But what is in Jesus' name? What is in his name? Why does it matter? Why does it matter about the name of Jesus? Why is Paul so compelled for the sake of Jesus' name? Why is he compelled about this? Ask the hard questions of the text. Ask the hard questions. It's because there's something more at stake. That's why he's compelled by the name of Jesus. What is in a name Brit? And why does Jesus' name amongst the nations matter? Listen to me very, very clearly here. The answer is that life and death is at stake in Jesus' name. Eternity, life, and death are at stake in his name. We're not going to Ethiopia to drink good coffee. We're going to Ethiopia for the sake of his name amongst a people that if they do not get the gospel, there is no hope. And they will spend eternity separated from God in hell. So I need to walk through something really, I gotta take some time and walk through this really carefully here. This is a difficult truth. Romans chapter one, verse 18. Look at this text with me. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans, Romans chapter one, verse 18 through 23. It's some of the toughest scripture in the Bible. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. That's an important verse, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their, and their heart, foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Essentially what Paul is saying here in these verses that, is that everyone knows there is a God based upon creation and best based upon their conscience. Yet they reject, yet they reject God. One scholar, Tom Schreiner, he's a, He's a fine man. He's, he's a better man than he's a scholar. He says, all people without exception reject the revelation of God heralded in the name, in nature, and turn to idolatry. That's all people. That's all people everywhere. That's not just people in America. 
In civilized countries or Manhattan, that includes the guy in Charleston that has churches on every corner. And that also includes the guy on some remote island who has no idea who the Holy Bible is, what the Holy Bible is, and they've never met a Christian before. Everyone ever born rejects God. If that's the case, I'm not telling you that, the Bible's telling you that, then what is the remedy? What is the solution? The answer, and there's only one answer, is Jesus Christ. There's only one answer. Hear Romans 10. Romans 10, 13 through 15, 17. I'm going I'm to jump through this again. Romans 10, verses 13. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, can, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How are they to preach unless they are sent? So here's the chain of Paul's logic in these verses. The only way to be saved is to call on Christ's name. The only way to call on Christ's name is to believe in the gospel. The only way to believe in the gospel is to hear the gospel. The only way to hear the gospel is to be told the gospel. The only way to be saved is to call on Christ's name. The only way to call on Christ's name is to believe the gospel. The only way to believe the gospel is to hear the gospel. The only way to hear the gospel is to be told the gospel. Calvin, who always has great words, read Calvin if you can. The guy, he says, the gospel, it doesn't fall from clouds like rain by accident, but it is brought by the hands of men to where God has sent it. Another scholar says, the gospel message, it does not arise spontaneously from within a person, but must be preached externally. So if everyone is guilty and even the guy that's never heard of Jesus is the only, the only way for a salvation to occur is for the, the gospel to get to him, to, for it to be externally proclaimed to him, what happens if the gospel never arrives to them? There's no eternal life. There's no life eternal. Without the gospel, people will spend eternity separated from God. Megan and I have a missionary friend. He'll leave on someone we support. He'll leave on Saturday, this approaching Saturday, to go to Panama. He will hike two days through a forest. He's not hiking through that forest because he's adventurous. He's not hiking through that forest because he needs a vacation. He's hiking through that forest and sleeping on the ground because he's getting to an indigenous people that if they don't hear the gospel, there is no hope. There is no hope. Paul is telling us that he's a servant. He's set apart for the gospel for the sake of his name amongst the nations. For the sake of his name is what compels him to the mission of, of Jesus Christ. Paul, it compels him to the, nation, the, the nations because he knows this truth. <clears throat> Paul knows this truth. The sake of his name is what compels the mission of Paul to the nations. And there's no way to avoid it. Scripture will confront you. So what's in a name, Britt? Everything. Everything's in a name. I, 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 it should cause you to weep. It should break your heart. It should break your heart. I've sat in rooms where the people 
and seen the people that are writing the books that teach the pastors and missionaries are told this truth, and there's an uneasiness. I'm, not, I'm talking about the people that taught David Platt, and they're uneasy about it. It should break your heart. 18th century England, if you went there where the Baptist Missionary Society was started, 18th century England, and you walked up to men like William Carey and Andrew Fuller and Samuel Pierce, who died at 33 years old. He was a pastor of a church in Birmingham, England. And you told them that most Americans don't know this truth. They would weep. They would weep in confusion. It was normally understood in the church till about 40 or 50 years ago. It was what compelled him. I thought about Samuel Pierce when I wrote this. The only thing he ever wanted to do in his life was go to India. He was a pastor in Birmingham, England. He went before the Baptist Missionary Society and he said, I want to be with William Carey. My heart aches for these people. They don't have the gospel and they turned him down. And he wept. We have his letters. I've read his letters and they're, they're marvelous. They're beautiful. And he just said, it's God's providence. I'll submit to their authority, but I want to be, I want to send the gospel to India. The largest sending agency ever in the history of Christianity is the International Mission Board, which is the mother of the Southern Baptist Convention. And it was started because this truth broke the hearts of men like George, men like George Boardman and the Judsons. It broke their heart. They couldn't take it. So how does this all apply to the coming trip? It's so heavy, Britt. How does this all apply? Taking the gospel to the nations about the proclamation of the name of Jesus. The mission in Ethiopia is the same that is here in this community. That Greg unfolded you, the new mission statement, is to make, mature, and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ. Effective missions is a long-term work. It's a long-term work, meaning it doesn't just stop at someone's conversion and it, 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 doesn't, it, it, it doesn't necessarily go the way it does in America. It, it, this is precisely why we're partnering with a special couple that's been a part of this church who's done a long-term work in Ethiopia. This is why we're partnering with them. It's for the sake of his name amongst the nations. It's the motivation to reach the unreached. Once you reach the unreached, the mission has only begun. So we must pursue the making of disciples the maturing and multiplying of disciples. It's a long-term work. And my prayer is that it'll be a long-term work for this church. So how do I participate in this? You need to consider making the trip. You need to consider making the trip to Ethiopia for the sake of his name. You need to consider emulating the ministry of the Apostle Paul. You need to consider it. We're servants, we're set apart for the gospel. If you can't go, you need to consider financially supporting people in this church that want to go. Point blank. Point blank. We're all servants. We're set apart for the gospel so that we can take his name to the nations. So Grace on the Ashley, look at me. How serious are you about the gospel? How serious are you about the gospel? Are you people that live as servants set apart for the gospel for the sake of his name amongst the nations? Are we gonna, and how are we going to deal with this truth? If you're a Christian, you have to deal with this truth. Are you in this whole Christianity thing for the sake of his name? Or are you in it for the sake of your own personal needs? How serious are you about the gospel? Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful to you that you give us grace in the midst of, in the midst of our own weakness, 
I'm thankful to you that you call us to be people that live amongst the nations. And I'm, I'm thankful to you, dear Lord, that you confront us in ways that we, we can't because we're idol-making factories, Father, and we walk, we, we, we swerve from truth. And so I just pray that you be gracious to us, dear Lord. We take seriously the call to go to the nations. We realize that it's, it's about the life and death of people. There's eternity that hangs in the balance, God. So give us a heart. Give us a heart. Break our heart for these truths, Father. And help us, dear Lord, to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have, if you'll just keep your seats for a moment, we have uh, three special folks I'm going to invite up. John Butts, I'm going to invite up Chris and Carol. I'm just going to have them come up. I'm going to let you see. These are going to be the core group that's going to go to Ethiopia. I'm going to have a little bit to say. I'm going to introduce you to them. We're going to show you some pictures of, uh, of some work that Chris and Carol have been done. Y'all can come on up here so everybody can see you. Um, and then I'm going to... Uh, Chris is going to share a little bit, but this is Chris and Carol. Chris and Carol have been doing a long-term work in Ethiopia. We're honored that they're a part of our church. We're, I've taken it as God, good, God's good pleasure upon us that he's brought them here to us, and we have the opportunity to be a part of their work in Ethiopia, a very, a very good and long work they've been doing. This is John Butts, one of your elders here. We're thankful for John. Um, John is going, to be, is going to represent the elders in general. All the elders can go. I hope they all do, but he's going to be the primary elder involved in all of this, so I wanted you to see him as well. And so these are going to make up the core group of everything. Right after we get done, I'm going to introduce them to you. Chris is going to have a few words to say about about, about Ethiopia, and then right after this, we're gonna, if you go out those double doors right there and you dead in into the old choir room, we're going to have an information session about Ethiopia, what, it want, what, what, what it's all about. They're going to kind of spearhead that. So if you want to be a part of this trip in any way, if you want to pray financially, if you want to go on the trip, come, let's have a conversation in here. We're going to resource you really well. We're going to give you dates and all those sorts of things. So please, please share with us, man, just a little bit about, about you guys and what, what the trip is and everything. Well, thank you for coming this morning. That was a powerful message and a call and a reminder that um, the beautiful message that we have received that's brought us grace and hope and everything really is a mystery in many parts of the world. There are places where there is no Christian witness or very little, uh, where people live in spiritual darkness. They don't have hope. And Ethiopia is one of those places. Um, but it's also a very joyous place because the people there are um, a special people. There are people that God, I think, has prepared for a certain time. They're open to hearing the gospel. They're hospitable. If you come, they'll welcome you into their home. They'll listen what you have, to what you have to say. Um, and I just wanted to encourage you a little bit. I know that if you know the Lord this morning, you've been on a journey with the Lord for some time, maybe a long time, maybe a short time, but God has put people in your path maybe before you came to Christ or after, that have encouraged you. Maybe they shared the gospel with you. Um, so why not come and be a part of someone else's story, someone in Ethiopia who, who, like I said, at this point in time, they don't have hope. They don't know the way forward. They know that there is an eternity coming, a judgment coming, but they don't know how to face that, and we have the answers to that. So um, consider coming. Fantastic. That's, that's, we're going to have Greg close us in prayer. And like I said, at the end, if you want to you exit out of those doors and take a left, we're going to meet in the small crowd room. Thank you for being here today. Pastor hey, Greg. before you guys take off, um, I want to tell you this. I haven't gotten to know uh, Chris and Carol over the last couple of years. And uh, has it been that long? I don't even know how long you've been here. It seems like it's been forever, but it's only been a couple of years. And uh, one of the things I know about them is they've been leading groups now to Ethiopia for how long? 
about 16 years to Ethiopia and other mission involvement prior to that. But prior to all of that, they were just like you, sitting in church one Sunday morning when somebody stood up and preached about the gospel going to the nations, just living life and doing a job and realizing, hey, wait a minute, maybe God could use me in that field. So maybe over all the fears and anxieties you know, that you probably think when you think about going somewhere, they just signed up and said, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll give this a shot and not knowing if God would do anything with it. And here they are all these years later taking groups back and God's using them in a really remarkable way in that nation. So I say that to you as an encouragement. So I think sometimes in church, people think that people who go on mission trips are special sorts of people that are different from you. The reality is they're not. And uh, just, just, just like you. So who knows what God may use you to do on this trip or, or even in the future. So pray about it and consider the challenge you've heard this morning. Let's pray. God, we're grateful that you in your kindness and in your remarkable grace, you sent somebody to us. You put the gospel in somebody else's life. And you sent them to us, and they had the courage to come, and they opened their mouths. And wherever that might have been for us, they spoke the gospel, and we heard it. And through that, you called us to faith in yourself, and you saved us. We're mindful this morning that we are very apt to live in a very small bubble of a world where we just think everybody already knows these things. And we forget there are people all around this world, millions of people, who have never one time heard the gospel of Jesus And you're still calling men and you're still calling women to go and to take that message and to proclaim it to those who've never heard. In this room right now, Lord, I'm convinced there are those who need to go. I don't know who they are, Lord, but you know who they are. So I pray that in these moments, as they hear the challenge from your word and they hear the call to go, that you would settle it in their hearts that they need to go. Let them come to the meeting now and hear. And for others, Lord, who are not able to go but are able to support, I pray that you would make it a priority in their life to come forward and say, hey, we can't go, but we're going to help somebody else. Give us, Lord, a burden in our hearts for the people of Ethiopia, for the people of Charleston, and everybody in between who does not know you. May that drive us. May that be a burden that we carry daily. For the sake of your name, we pray. Amen. The Lord bless you as you go.
His strength will help me scale these walls.